This week's episode, I sit down with uh, Jennifer of Project Freedom Ride. Project Freedom Ride transports and houses dogs from high kill shelters, most commonly found in southern states like Texas. It all started when Jennifer and her family moved to Texas, where she saw high kill shelters that were a dime a dozen, small communities that were overran with dogs, up to 60 a day, and within three days, they'd be euthanized. With so little resources, what are the other options? I really like Jennifer's perspective on dogs and what to do with them in these situations, because she doesn't see it so black and white. She puts an emphasis on education instead of demonizing individuals, which I respect. You can go check out Project Freedom Ride on Facebook. They've got an event coming up on May 16th. And if you want to learn a little bit more or maybe adopt a dog yourself, feel free to reach out. When you've got a shelter that has that can house 125 dogs and you get 100 in a day, mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do. Sorry. So Hi, they have to euthanize them. They have to euthanize them or, you know, find a way to get them out. Mm-hmm. So that's oh, it. Oh, wow. And is, Sorry, is there... A, do we have those problems within Washington? Not the euthanization thing, but the overpopulation? Uh, Eastern Washington is a little bit worse. There's areas there um, that are kind of more rural then that don't have the same population looking for pets, but nothing to the level of, like, the South in general. It's not just Texas, but the South, California is really bad. Um, if you could speculate... Go get something. If you could speculate... Uh, what would attribute to that? Is it would it be culture in Eastern Washington or yeah, in general, or just in general? Um, I think a big part of it is a mindset. Mm-hmm. It's whether or not your pets are viewed as a part of your family, or whether or not they're viewed as property. I see. As property, you the care that goes into them is a little bit different, mm-hmm. or you know, that's more yeah. disposable. As a family member, you know, you do what you can. They're a part of your family, so. Um, the spay neuter stuff was very, it's very behind in mm-hmm. a lot of those areas. So until that catches up, you know, one dog can produce hundreds of babies in the scheme of things. Oh, that makes sense. So, and yeah. Where, and you'd find it in, uh, I would imagine larger cities, um, where there'd be more legislation to catch that. Um, it's funny cause like here we don't have any regulations in oh. Western Washington. We don't have like spay neuter laws or anything like that. Um, it's starting to take effect down in the south to in some places to mm-hmm. try and reduce population, but you can't, I mean, unless you go knocking on doors, there's not a whole lot you can do, unfortunately, until the mm-hmm. mentality of all oh, the population you're supporting changes, it, and, and then it will get a little better. Um, do you, have you seen anybody using effective strategies to do that on that side of things? Um, that's town we lived in, in Texas, when we were there, um, like I helped speak at city council and stuff to fight and have like mandatory spay neuter, have, you know, microchipping. So you have better odds of getting a dog back to its owner Mm -hmm. if it comes in, you know, in crosses paths with the city. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still a very big problem there. The problem is when you have rescues and shelters that take in dogs and then re-release them unaltered, it doesn't help anything because that dog is still hypothetically a problem, even Mm -hmm. though it went back to its family. Mm -hmm. So once you got rescues involved, like here for the longest time, if you adopted a dog from a facility here in Western Washington, you didn't adopt an 
an unaltered dog. That dog was spayed or neutered before you ever took it home. So over time, like 10, 15 years, then your population drops. That makes sense. But You're not putting a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, you also don't have probably the same number of like backyard breeders that yeah. you do down in the south so oh really so backyard yeah. breed what would stop that here is that a cultural thing or is that a like are you, could you legally breed? um you can breed here mm-hmm. and um i don't know why the mindset is so different mm-hmm. it's interesting how different the south is from the north mm-hmm. Um, in general, you've got, you know, Florida, Louisiana, all of those, Texas, they're all bad as far as pet population. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what specifically it is. Um, it's weird cause you have, I don't know, probably hundreds of thousands of dogs that leave the South and go to the North, be it the Northwest, be it Wisconsin, uh, Michigan kind of area, or be it the Northeast dogs leave the South for a better opportunity. So um, I don't know exactly why, because it's hard for me because I'm not from that area. Mm-hmm. So it's even hard to process why it's happening anyways. Because you're like an outsider looking in. Yeah, I'm just like, that. this isn't how it should be. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this is not what I've known my whole life. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's different. It's definitely different. And it's hard because everybody who's trying to change it you're definitely not the majority. Yes, and then you, you could uh, be ostracized and resented within that community. Um, and oh, yeah, you're just crazy. Y- yeah, you're like exactly. the crazy animal person. Yes. So you're not realistic. Like, why would somebody want to cut their balls and balls off their dog? Like, why? Yeah, it's the dog's balls. Like, well, the dog won't roam. The dog won't like. There's yeah. a many. The dog won't be aggressive. There's many things that come with that that mm-hmm. get overlooked. And I would uh, I would even speculate that the cultural value in and of itself, uh, not even just just pet ownership, but extending to the entirety of an individual's life within that culture, right, is something that would contribute towards the the problem that you have because there's uh, there's certain other problems that are indicative of that culture as right. well. Um, and, uh, well, and if you think about it, if you got a, like lower income areas, mm-hmm. they're not going to spend money on their dog. Yeah. I mean, that's like really low on the priority list. So it's just stuff. You'll see dogs that are kind of old that it may even be time to say goodbye, mm-hmm. but rather than the owner spend, you know, the money to do that and be by that animal side at the vet and do it properly, they'll just dump them in a high kill shelter and the dog will die the next day. Wow. So it's just stuff like that that's really sad because an owner surrender in a shelter, they don't have to hold it at all. It could it can be euthanized tomorrow or tonight, it doesn't matter. Um now if that dog came in as a stray, they have to hold it for seventy two hours, but that's only three days. Mm-hmm. Well that's so, not long at all. No. So that's why it's just weird. It's just a different environment. Mm-hmm. I mean I don't, if you're a dog in the South and you wind up unwanted or something, like, the odds are not good. Yeah. Wow. Because so. then your life isn't valued in such a way. Right. You're, you're, you're just a number. You're, um, it's like having fleas or something. Yeah. Dispose of them. So, yeah, it's really, it's sad. And that's where it was, like, hard for me because I don't understand, like, we, um, we're pet owners. Like, we've had dogs and they are our children. And mm-hmm. so I didn't understand the lack of compassion and lack of care for them. So when we moved up here, I just kind of joked like, oh, you should just bring them up here. <laughs> and then we did. <laughs> wow. And so I don't know. So how did you figure out how, how to set up uh, something like this? Did you have someone to mentor you? No. Or you just piece no, it together? Um, yeah, I didn't think it would last. I thought like we'll move a few dogs and we can, you know, I can at least say we helped 
10, 20, 30, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I just started looking for transportation companies and you can find those through different rescue groups because I certainly did not invent the wheel. People are transporting um, way before I did and pe- even to Washington. Washington probably takes in thousands upon thousands a year just Whoa. to Washington State. They take a lot from California and then they do things from like Oklahoma and there's other areas as well. But um, I just looked for a transporting company and then I'm like, okay, well, we got to pay for this. So we just started asking for money. And we had developed a really strong following in Texas just through um, kind of our rescue efforts. And we would volunteer with rescues there and um, interact with the city a lot to try and make change and host um, adoption events and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think we had a good base. We had a good foundation to they knew that we would try and help them. Mm -hmm. And that's where I kind of focused at first was the town that we had lived in. And then it just kind of grew. And now I have... I don't know, probably like a 400-mile wow. area of different groups that I work in, you know, um, and we have roughly 10 rescues that we work with. It's funny because the town we lived in in Texas isn't our focal point at all anymore, actually. And so I started getting rescues, and I started getting money, and then it just came together. Uh, so you started, you had a small, very small focus. And yeah, time. yeah, because there were like res- roughly three rescues, four rescues in the town that we lived in. <laughs> so we were like, oh, well, we can help them. And our first transport was like 31 dogs or something like that. And uh, then obviously I had to reach out to groups up here, like different um, rescues and humane societies. So mm-hmm. we had reached out to Skagit Humane and NOAA and... Um, some of those groups and they took our dogs and now things are different but yeah we move larger quantities we move anywhere from 50 to 100 a month wow and we go as long as there's money we move yeah exactly and we don't have when we don't have money we can't do it anymore that's crazy and so you guys are essentially moving them from one shelter down for or from shelters down in texas to shelters up here no no we move from shelter to texas rescue Mm -hmm. first and we require anywhere from two to four weeks in that rescue before they come up here why two to four weeks i don't want to spread disease as much as i can and um disease like distemper is prevalent in some of the shelters that we pull from in texas and that can that's an airborne disease so it needs to Kind of make sure if they have it, we've seen it before it goes, so it doesn't board on transport where everybody's sharing, you know, sharing the same air. Mm, so uh, we require two to four weeks, and then they come up. So that's why we kind of have tra- transport once a month. Mm-hmm. It works out for that, and um, then they come up to different rescues up here, or humane societies, or shelters. It's weird up here. The line is very gray between the difference between a shelter, a humane society. And a rescue. What is the difference between them? I thought they were the same. Well, no. So, like, well, I think up here they kind of are. Mm-hmm. But in Texas, like a shelter, you would be, like, euthanizing animals and your open intake. So you take whatever walks through your door. Um, a rescue would be selective. You know, they wouldn't have to take whatever walks through the door. They got to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Humane societies kind of off, I think, are kind of more in between. Mm. So, um, and rescue may euthanize, but it would be, it, they would have exhausted other options. Like, yeah, it may be, like... Chance. Medically, they needed to, or um, they've tried, like, the dog is crazy aggressive or something, and they mm-hmm. it's a risk to mm-hmm. adopt them out. But, um, yeah, so it's kind of, it, here, I think the lines are grayed. In mm-hmm. Texas, they are not. That makes sense. Like, you would offend a rescue horribly if you called them a shelter. <laughs> really? So, yeah, because that's, I mean, it's, it's a very strained relationship between mm-hmm. these groups that are trying to save 
and shelters who have to euthanize. Yeah, I mean, especially if, like you said, those three-day, like the holding periods after yeah. maybe even three days, and yeah. they get euthanized. That's just. It's like, uh, what is it, a cemetery for dogs, yeah. living dogs. That yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. And that I would almost, maybe I'm blowing it out of proportion, but I would imagine if we tried to euthanize the homeless, it would be mm-hmm. of something similar quality. Yeah. Like, that is insane, because yeah. you can't have a place to live. You're, you're yeah, dead? You're done. Yeah. Well, and the city, though, you've got to think, like, you've got, for example, the town we lived in, mm-hmm. the city's budget alone was like... I don't know, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars a year just to run the shelter. Wow. You know, so when you have, there is a financial burden that comes mm-hmm. with all these unwanted, and I, I get it, and I don't. It's hard not to blame. I mean, you can't just blame the shelter because mm-hmm. had people been more responsible from the jump, the dogs would not be there in the beginning. Yeah, and that's where you you could argue that whole putting a Band-Aid on it Mm -hmm. and and what strategies you would have to inform people because you're right, what do you do at this time when the cost burden is so high that that's like... When you have a limited amount of space. Mm -hmm. Like like I was saying, you have 100 kennels, but there are city city shelters, if you will, that will take in 100 dogs a day. So what do you do? That's a lot of dogs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think, like, Skagit Humane, for example, just because that's the closest to us, mm-hmm. I don't think they've ever had 100 dogs in there, ever. Yeah. Like, they might have, like, 50 or 60 at a given time, but they certainly wouldn't take in 50 or 60 <laughs> at a given time <laughs> Yeah. Either. So, yeah, it's just a different world. I don't uh, know. And is there a lot of interest when families are looking to get a dog or someone's looking to get a dog, do they, is it more likely that you'd find that they go to a humane society or shelter or uh, brand new? I'm hoping that, like, there are still people who want a breeder. Mm-hmm. They want to know the background of the dog. They want a specific breed of dog, and they want it, you know, documented and all of that. Um, I, I We had a dog from um, that was not from a humane society or a rescue or anything, um, 14 years ago, though, we mm. got him. So I didn't know anything like what I know now. And he was from a family that had a litter, and, you know, he was expensive. He was a lab. But it's like once you're exposed, I think once people, even if they've bought, bought from breeders, it's funny because you'll have people say, like, oh, I adopted this dog from a breeder. No, you didn't adopt it. Mm. Like, you bought it. It's yeah. very different in the rescue world. Oh. Um, and so once you're kind of exposed to the numbers that die and then mm-hmm. and the fact that you can almost get any dog you want as a rescue yeah. the breeds and everything i think it's hard to go back you mm. can't then go back and there are reputable breeders out there mm-hmm. and i think the mindset is shifting slowly to people wanting to feel like they made a difference yeah I and see. that's something you get when you rescue a dog and adopt versus purchasing a dog mm-hmm. it's more meaningful in that mm-hmm. sense and i it's interesting. I, I think the dogs know. The mm-hmm. dogs know that you saved them because they've seen things that, you know, um, breeder dogs may have never seen. Y- yes. And so they're very appreciative. Do you have, um, do these dogs have traumatic experiences often? Like when you were to adopt a dog, would you expect it to have some trauma? And is there strategies to You need to, to have like a decompression that? period. Okay. Um, more so just because their whole world just changed. They went from wherever they were prior to a shelter mm-hmm. that was loud and concrete walls and a concrete floor um, to a foster home probably or even like a foster, like a rescue facility. 
that was different. And then from there in a month, then they potentially come to your house up here. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of transition for a dog to adjustment. So we always tell people, like, don't smother them. Mm-hmm. Let them, they'll come to you and live on them. But don't feel like you've got to, like, be all up in their face. They just need to learn their environment. Be patient because some of them may have never lived in a house before. Mm-hmm. So don't expect them to know all the rules right away. Like, we've had people adopt puppies who then don't want it anymore because they're like, oh, my God, it's not housebroken. Well, was your child housebroken when it came out? Like, it doesn't yeah. happen like that. Everything you, takes work. It takes, yeah, exactly. And if you're not willing to do the work, don't do it mm-hmm. because then it becomes a burden later for somebody else. And, um, uh, don't think you're just doing this great deed and then you're like, oh, I don't want it anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't work out that way. And you could argue that puppies would be the same thing because oftentimes you hear people where they get way in over their head and they want to take the puppy back. Yeah. Christmas time is notorious for puppies as gifts. And then usually by next Christmas, that puppy's somewhere else. Ooh. Because, you know, that first year is rough. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, the chewing and, and they got little puppy nails and it's hard, but... If you can get through it, it's pretty good. Yeah, just it's like with good. children, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, there are plenty of times I've thought about dumping my own child in the shelter. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you'll appreciate me after this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, no, it, it's, not, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but they, um, I don't know, there's a different compassion and mm. love that comes from a dog. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I stayed, I'm a person who I didn't travel to Japan with my husband because I wanted mm-hmm. to stay with my dog. Oh, wow. So, and he understood that yeah. because my dog would not make that flight. He was too old. Mm-hmm. So we stayed. And, but that's, you know, the other thing is, unfortunately, being in the military, we experience a lot of people who are moving and dump their dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so we get a yeah. bad rep for that because that's kind of the typical military, you know, MO. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. People have all sorts of excuses, but I'm a firm believer that if you want something, you'll find a way to make it work. You will. Exactly. And that's as opposed to... Uh, no pun intended, but dogging on people mm-hmm. for um, their issues. It's trying to talk openly about it to develop op- or effective strategies mm-hmm. to overcome those issues. Right. And right. because, you know, those life does change. And in those moments of change, you know, there's probably a good way to handle it and a bad way to handle it. If you did have some immediate change, um, what would you recommend to do with your dog? Like, let's say if you did have to move somewhere and you, like, to Japan or you moved into an apartment and you can't have a dog like what would be the best method of um I don't know how to word that I would think way. before you get it have a plan yes before you even get the dog and granted yes things will still pop up but mm-hmm. kind of have an idea like do you have family if something happens to you do you have family that's going to be able to take this dog or do you have friends that are going to be able to take it um because it's as traumatic as it is for you it's equally traumatizing mm-hmm. for them um we've seen stories where like people have had these dogs for seven years or something Ooh. or even are like a bonded pair like those dogs have only known life with each other and then it's like oh well i can't keep them anymore and i'm like you don't understand what you're putting them through mm-hmm. like it would be better like i don't know it's hard because mm-hmm. i'm i don't know that i'm the right person to ask that because yeah. i'm like i'll figure it out like mm-hmm. i'll live in a bad place just so we can all live together. That's why I thought it was a good question because um, it's that mindset going forth. Like with a kid, you honestly, if for some reason you were in a place where you could only afford a studio, it's like, yeah, okay, we're going to share the same battery, sleep on the couch or something. Like in having that attitude going forth, um, instead of looking at like a dog as a disposable thing, like it's, 
it's it has emotions and it develops bonds and attachments. Well, it's interesting because there's a guy in Cedar Woolley who lives in a motorhome. Um, I'm pretty sure he's like homeless, although he has this motorhome. It's pretty rickety. But he has a dog, mm-hmm. and when he stands out um, with his sign with his white pit bull, like it's funny because people can be rough. I can definitely lose compassion for people, especially people in animal rescue, because you see the bad often. You see the bad. You see good, too, but it's draining. And so every time we drive by and I see him, and I often think, like, so this guy's probably had it rough. But I bet you a million to one that dog is what has seen him through, and he would not change having that dog by his side for anything. Mm -hmm. He would continue to be homeless versus maybe if somebody offered him a place, but he couldn't have his dog. Mm -hmm. I bet you he would not take it. Mm -hmm. And so you see that often, like, people, the amount of support or comfort they get from an animal is so different than the comfort they get from other humans. Mm-hmm. And so, like, my thing is, like, all your life is changing or whatever, and it may be very stressful, but that dog has been there for everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think you could potentially just be adding more stress Whoa. to your life. See, and that's a very interesting perspective that I respect because I would... I've been around people and they would see uh, someone who's homeless, right, with a dog. And like, oh, gosh, why would they expose that dog to, you know, mm-hmm. be, being outside or could they get them any food? And then now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, no, they're in it together. They in may, yeah, ways. there was um, a really cool news report done kind of like maybe October time of last year. Mm-hmm. There's a vet clinic down in Seattle that opens every other Saturday for the homeless to bring their dogs and stuff. And so Project Freedom Ride did kind of a rally, and we did what we called holiday blessing bags. And so we filled, I don't know, over 70, um, like, reusable grocery bags with items for homeless people as well as for their pets, like dog food, cat food, toys, things like that, treats. And we drove down there, and we donated it. But you see people who don't have a lot but they would do anything for those pets. Mm. Like, you have to step back and realize it's not the life you would maybe give that pet mm-hmm. or whatever, but there is an alternative. And I think having interacted with, like, kill shelters and things like that, it's like, although this dog may not be in the most ideal situation, that dog is loved way more than even some dogs in a nice house. Yeah, and that love transcends so, the, the yeah, environment. Like, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. So it's just interesting. You mm-hmm. have to kind of... You become judgmental probably on one end you know because you see the bad and but then you kind of open your eyes and you see you know you have to be more receptive to like well this dog may not have the life i would give it but it's got a pretty good you know life Mm -hmm. with its person yeah exactly and you even see that like i've interviewed uh homeless and they've had their children Mm -hmm. and i at first i'm like oh i feel so bad for you know that little girl that little boy growing up there and then i would interview the kid and the parents and i'm like at least for for the most part when there's not like extreme mental illness um there's they're happy Mm -hmm. they're in a relative situation to where it's like it's not might be the ideal situation for me however they're working on it and that child is receiving love and at the end of the day i mean no matter how you dress it up no matter what country you live in that that is the pinnacle of what we live for right Exactly. Love and acceptance. When you can think of, there's probably plenty of uh, wealthy children who don't have mm-hmm. that life, you know, don't have, like, the love or compassion that they maybe need or, 
you know, think of people who you would like never know that they had been abused or something on a daily basis because on the outside looking in, they had a nice house or a nice family. And so I just, yeah, you have to kind of shift, I guess, what the priorities really are. Um, but yeah, so it's been, the whole thing is interesting because I'm very new. I mean, we've been pet owners forever, but Mm -hmm. we haven't been in rescue. And so once you kind of see all this, you'll look at things very different. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not always about like, you know, the house, you know, do you have a house with a yard? It's like, well, what are your plans with the dog? Mm -hmm. Like we've adopted very active dogs into people who live in apartments. And they're like, well, why would you do that? Because that person's a runner or that Mm -hmm. person hikes and they totally intend for this dog to be their companion. Yeah. So you have to just kind of regroup Mm. and look at rather than like a very broad umbrella, Mm -hmm. you look at everybody on an individual basis. And that's kind of neat. Mm, Yeah. And you are able to suit the personality and characteristics of a dog with the personality and characteristics of a person. Definitely try to match. Otherwise, you're going to wind up with that dog back because it didn't work out. Yeah, exactly. So a lot goes into it, especially when we we have direct adoptions where people adopt basically a dog sight unseen. Mm -hmm. So they will interact through Skype and FaceTime with our Texas rescues, and that dog transports up and goes straight to their house. Wow. So we want those to match Mm -hmm. because getting that dog – you know, into an alternate family or into, it's not easy. So, so as a prospective pet owner, what would be the right questions to ask to find a dog that would fit your lifestyle? The rescue should be good about asking you. Oh, they are. The rescue should be good about, they should be. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to say they all are, but they should be. So they should be asking, are you active? Are you, what is your daily routine like? You know, are you somebody who's gone from your house 12, 14 hours a day? Then you probably shouldn't have a dog. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Or you need a dog that really doesn't need you as a person, but Mm. you definitely wouldn't do well with like a husky or a lab that needs to be, you know, an active member in their, you know, human's life. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have small kids? Do you have other animals that maybe wouldn't interact well with this animal? There's tons of things that they should ask you and then be like, based on your answers, here, I think these two or this one would be a good Oh, that's fit. cool. Um, it, with somebody um, who is not looking for an active dog, you probably shouldn't adopt a husky. The yeah. odds of that husky being low-key are not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're looking for something really low-maintenance, you know, or whatever, you probably shouldn't have a puppy either. Mm-hmm. Um, so just things like that oh. that you have to take into consideration. And is there, as someone who has a family looking to adopt, um, some people would say, I don't want to adopt because what if the dog is aggressive? Is that something to be concerned of or is that just uh, an assumption that's not grounded in truth? Um, well, I have two rescues myself mm-hmm. right now. Um, both of them had hard times finding homes. Um the first one we got was actually from a kill shelter in Texas, and she had been a repeat offender. So she had been in the shelter three times. Oh, wow. So she was on her third strike, you're out. Yeah. That dog does not have a mean bone in her body. Aww. Not a mean, like she, when we first got her, she was definitely scared of men. So we think she was beat. Um, she would cower. Um, and now she doesn't cower. She's super excited to see everybody. <laughs> But, um, so she obviously proved that completely wrong. Yes. Um, we have another dog that we actually just got after Bubba passed. She came up in January and went through three homes that did not work up here. Um, we have no idea why. So Roman and I were kind of watching her, like we were going to foster her and find her a family. Uh-huh. And he fell in love with her. But she's, <laughs> she's deaf. She was six months old. And she had no problems. Um, based on her breed, she's mouthy. So uh-huh. she will use her mouth like a hand. Oh, really? Grab you and take you places. But there's no, like, 
There's no marks. It's like pressure, yeah. but there's no teeth. Like she doesn't mm-hmm. bite. It's very different. Whoa. And so those are things too. Like people need to think about. D- certain breeds have certain characteristics. Mm-hmm. Your healer, your cattle dog, your ranch kind of breeds are mouthy. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're gonna bite you. Oh. Um, okay. But if you are not familiar with that breed, mm-hmm. the minute a dog's mouth goes around your arm, you might be like, oh no, what's gonna happen? And she'll just lead you. Usually she'll, like, take Roman to the floor because she wants him to pet her. Yeah. So I just think people need to, people, when people are adopting, they need to do their research as well mm-hmm. and figure out what breeds suit their interest mm-hmm. and then kind of steer from there. Yeah, exactly. You know, cattle dogs, um, things like that, they have a high prey drive. Mm-hmm. So if you've got, like, if you live right next to a farm with chickens or something, probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, they um, they could bring home dinner. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Straight on the doorstep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, unfortunately, we have um, we had our first kill in our backyard this winter. Luna got a hold of a rabbit, and oh. that was very traumatic for us. Yeah. Because we are like, we were animal lovers. What are you <laughs> doing? But that's just her breed, and mm-hmm. so we couldn't save it. We tried, but exactly. Um, you just have to know they are just like people. They're all different. Mm-hmm. But if the dog is in a rescue or something, they should be able to answer a lot of questions. Okay. They won't know everything because you your house is not their environment now, so mm-hmm. they don't know. But be patient and be willing to, you know, invest time in training or whatever if you need to. Mm-hmm. Some things can be corrected. Yeah, dogs are mal- malleable. Yeah, some may not. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, things, decisions have to be made at that point, which I understand. But the worst thing you could tell a rescue is like, oh, I don't want this dog because of X, Y, Z. And then when the rescue says, well, did you, you know, have you tried training? Have you, nope, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, then why'd you get it? Yeah, exactly. So, but even a breed from a breeder, you can run into the same thing. Mm-hmm. You don't know. That makes sense. Every dog's different. Yeah. Every dog has so. their own personality. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. We've had a purebred lab that we did not get to keep because she was insanely aggressive. Wow. It's totally oh, not wow. what we anticipated when we got a yellow lab, beautiful girl. Whoa. And she would want to eat my child and eat our other dog. Like, she was <sighs> nasty. Well, so we had to take her back to where she came from. That's very surprising. Yeah, and we tried to ride it out for, like, six, seven months. Mm-hmm. And we just couldn't do it. We had paid, you know, like, $1,500 for a boarding facility and training for her. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty intense. And nothing improved it. Whoa. And so. So if someone... Uh, is not looking to adopt, mm-hmm. but they would like to help dogs in a very similar situation, uh, what can they do? Would it be going to go and volunteer at like a, their local yeah, humanitarian? Yeah, get involved. Mm-hmm. Get involved is like my big thing. That's where we started. I never wanted to do anything like this. I mean, this was... Even still, I question my sanity at times. <laughs> but just get involved. Do things. Like if you see change that needs to be made, don't be one of those people who just talk about it or mm-hmm. tell other people what they should do. Yeah. Go. Hang out. Spend some time with them. Um, we've had a few dogs that uh, we would go visit at the shelter, and we knew we couldn't bring them home based on their temperament. Mm-hmm. They didn't do well with other dogs or whatever. But we would just hang with them for like an hour every day just Aww. so they they had us. You know, because mm-hmm. when people work at those facilities and things, they interact some, but they're, you know, more their case it's like caretaker. doctors and yeah. patients, yeah. They're not there to just hang out with you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, do that. Oh, wow. Encourage people to adopt. Mm-hmm. And it's like I tell people, sometimes people get caught up in the idea, too. Now we're finding, with us at least, they want the dog with a story. Mm. They don't. Ooh. And I'm like, well, okay, 
But you have to understand that if you save this dog, even though it doesn't have a story, you freed up a spot for another dog. Mm -hmm. And that's how it is. Like, the rescues in Texas are revolving doors. Mm -hmm. As we leave with 69 dogs, which is what will happen May 18th, Mm -hmm. we will have 69 new dogs enter those rescues, basically. So it's just rotating. So don't get caught up in their story. Get caught up in the right dog. Mm -hmm. Get caught up in the right dog so they fit well with you. You have to think for every life that you save, you've opened a spot for them to save another. Mm. So, do they? Is there anywhere that um, people can support what you're doing, or do you have anything upcoming? So we have a Facebook page, <laughs> um, Project Freedom Ride, which that's all I have right now. I do not have a website or anything because I don't have enough time to manage all of this. <laughs> and so we share our stories there, our transports there. Um, we have a folder dedicated to direct adoptions if people are interested in that. Or dogs that are on a current transport and where they may be going, like whether they're direct adopts or going to a facility. We have um, an event at Railroad Pub and Pizza in Burlington, May 16th, from 6 to 8. So that'll be our first local event, really, that's like a fundraiser. Um, Sound Beverage and Alaskan Breweries is helping us with that, so that's pretty cool. And then we have another event coming um, June 9th in Portland. I don't have all the details for that um, because I'm not planning it, so it's pretty easy. Yeah. I will get them, but I don't have them now. And then uh, June 20th, I think in Bo. I don't remember the name of the um, place that it's at. Mm-hmm. But that one should be a little bit more pet friendly, too, okay. which will be kind of cool. And we participate. There's like a Bark in the Park in Anacortes, I think in June or July. I don't mm-hmm. remember. Um, but that's more just an informational kind of Look at us. This mm-hmm. is who we are. Yeah. Um, but that's it. We don't actually have... We have a good support system here, but we don't actually have... We haven't had many events mm-hmm. on this end. And it's really hard to have events on the Texas end because we're so spread out. Yeah, that makes sense. So we've been very fortunate. We've All of our transports um, have been covered by private donations. Oh, wow. So the individuals. So when we raise $11,000 a month, it's through just our following. Whoa. So we don't have grants because technically I'm not um, our own nonprofit yet. Mm-hmm. I operate under somebody else just for the sake of tax purposes yes. right now. Um, that should change hopefully like August, September time. Mm-hmm. We will be our own freestanding nonprofit, Ooh. which will be scary, but you, it is what it is. You guys got this. I don't know. This, Like <laughs> I said, I was never intending on this going any further than a few transports. And mm-hmm. now we're 995 dogs deep. And 30-something cats. That's how all great things start, cats. though. <laughs> I guess, yeah. So one day maybe I can make this, like, actually my job and yes. not have a job on top of this one. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's pretty crazy. That is so cool. And I'll be sure to um, put all of those dates in the show notes. Cool. And then um, on their Facebook page, I could reach out to you if they want to um, donate. Yeah, uh, yeah right? we have a donate link. Oh, really? Right on the, f- uh, I don't know what you call it, the front of our Facebook page, mm-hmm. the main page. We have... A donate link through PayPal. So we have that up and going. Um, right now we kind of have like a little, we've um, been given a really huge opportunity. We have a $15,000 matching opportunity. So uh-huh. we have a private donor that will match up to $15,000 in donations. So for us, that's huge because that could potentially move like 200 dogs if we max out the matching. Oh. So that's pretty cool. So we are doing that until um, June 8th. Mm-hmm. We have the matching opportunity, so we've got a what, little over a month to try and get $15,000 <laughs> yes. in donations. 
So, yeah, so it's pretty cool. Woo! I mean, we, yeah, you guys got this. Sure. Yeah, no, I yes! Know. I don't know how it's lasted as long as it has, but <laughs> it survives. Every time I think, like, oh, we're getting to the end, I don't know what'll happen, then something weird happens. Yeah, exactly. This is the momentum comes up, you know? It does. We've definitely, I mean, um, November... November, October, November of last year, we had maybe 5,000 people following our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So we were still very small. And now I think we're at like twelve or 13,000. Woo! And Roman's had videos go viral. Uh-huh. Um, so he's been on um, featured in a few Dodo videos. And that really obviously helped our cause, having mm-hmm. their support. Um, and they're great to work with. And then um, we've, had, we've been contacted by Animal Planet. Oh. PBS wants to do a special on Roman once we move to Georgia. So those things will help us. Yeah. But they're also very taxing on my time. Yeah, so that's very catch true. So it's a 22-22. Exactly. But I, I'm sure within time you'll be able to dedicate more of your, your time to. Yeah, I just need to find money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm right <laughs> there. the money. That's like where I'm with the podcast. It's yeah. like it starts taking more, eclipsing more and more of my time, but yeah. I have to work. And it's like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I still only have 24 hours in a day. Yeah. So I'm like, dang it. <laughs> it is what it is. I, I love it. It's very mm-hmm. stressful at times. But, um, like I've told people, I, I was always scared to get involved in rescue. Mm-hmm. Probably other people are the same. Like, you are worried you'll get attached. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to get attached and be sad, obviously. But the amount of reward that I have reaped from this has been pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. I think um, for us, at least in our family, we found something that we're good at. Mm-hmm. Or I found a niche in rescue that I'm good at. And so, um, it's pretty it's pretty fun mm-hmm. to feel like you are doing something that's making a difference. I imagine very rewarding. And yeah. that's like an integral part of, of life, in my opinion, is the connection between effort and reward mm-hmm. and, and even uh, c- community. Like uh, you have experienced that with jujitsu or um, even helping out someone like uh, with different projects, right? Like I don't get it's kind of altruistic um however it isn't because i do get something out of right. it which is the satisfaction of contributing right you know and it's like a- as opposed to uh, day in and day out finding some way to like kill time or entertain yourself i mean life's so much more fun when you have something that you want to commit yourself yeah to. it's definitely um it's different yeah it's something that like, I'm not a doctor or yeah. anybody, so I can't say, like, my profession <laughs> is helping people because mm-hmm. it's not. Like, I'm not a dentist. I'm not, I mean, I don't do anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like, I think my life changed, too. Like, just when I had a kid, I'm like, okay, how do I want this kid to be in society? Mm-hmm. I don't want you to be a drain on it, and I want you to make it better because you're here. Hmm. Well, I can't hold him to that expectation (laughs) if I'm not willing to do it myself. Exactly. So now I'm like, okay, what are we doing to make a difference? But it is draining at times. Like, Mm -hmm. I think anybody who does a lot of extra stuff, I think you have those days where you're like, God, like, am I the only one helping? Or Mm -hmm. am I, you know, the nature of our world now is kind of negative, which kind of sucks. But... Um, weird things happen where you remember, like, this is why I do this. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. Or you'll, uh, like, moments, like yesterday, Roman and I were in the grocery store, and a lady contributed $50 to our grocery bill. Like, oh, wow. she was gone, so we couldn't thank her or anything, but I guess it's something she does to just kind of, like, pay it forward and do her kind gesture or whatever. Oh. And I was like, it's like little moments like that where you're like, dang, there still are really good people out there. Yes. And not because we are necessarily a family that needed the $50 by any means or mm-hmm. anything, but... 
it was just like, oh my gosh, like the thought that somebody was like willing to just be like, I just want to do this to be nice. Yeah. Like that doesn't really happen anymore. It instills your faith in humanity. Again. Exactly. Yes. You're like, okay, there are good people. But uh, much like a parent uh, is a role model to a child in which they can ex- inspire more expectations from them, mm-hmm. I think a person is a role model to a culture in which they can inspire more expectations of the culture. When you see people yeah. doing things such as yourself, it inspires others to kind of follow along. Well, and that's what I hope even, like, people will be like, oh, my God, you're raising such a good kid, and mm-hmm. you must get that from you or whatever. And, like, both my husband and I, like, we're just normal people. Yeah. We don't, we're not anything, at least we don't feel like we're anything special. Like, we mm-hmm. are just raising him what we feel, you know, how we feel is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody has obviously a different opinion on what that is, but like my whole thing is like, I want him to feel like he can make the world better Mm -hmm. and I don't ever want that to change. And so I think, you know, as we age, we lose sight of that Mm -hmm. because you get beat down with the negative part of society. And so he still is convinced like he can save the world. So let him, like let him do that. Exactly. You know, he, everybody needs a Batman in their life and he's (laughs) Batman.
feel so free.